Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Jury selection is underway in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former police officer charged with killing George Floyd. Meanwhile, the New York State Assembly is launching an impeachment investigation into Governor Andrew Cuomo following allegations of sexual harassment and the misreporting of COVID-19 nursing home deaths. Ann Milgram and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, you can get 50% off the price for an annual membership by using the code JUSTICE. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. Um, so the other the other case that is drawing national attention, as it should, is the trial of uh, officer, former officer Derek Chauvin, who killed George Floyd. The, the jury selection process is going pretty quickly. The trial was scheduled to begin on March 29th. Here we are on March 16th, and obviously this might change even during the course of the day, but nine jurors have already been selected, and I think the goal is to have 12 who sit, plus I think four alternates. So they're going faster than expected, even though there's been a rigorous vetting process, lengthy jury questionnaires, lots of questions about whether or not people can be fair because the case has been so much in the news. There's a motion to delay the trial and maybe also a change of venue uh, brought again by the officers, defense lawyers, because among other things, and this is what I've been dying to ask you all week, just a couple of days ago, the city of Minneapolis announced a settlement with George Floyd's family uh, in connection with his death to the tune of $27 million. And what that does to the jury pool, what that does to the fairness of the trial, I've asked you now compound questions, Anne. (laughs) What do you make of the speed of jury selection the settlement, and the impact on the trial? I misjudged the speed that this would go at. I thought, you know, three weeks might not even be enough. And so I I thought it would take longer. So it is moving faster than I expected. I would attribute that to the judge, who is as no-nonsense as you get. Judge Cahill, he was, I think he was a deputy when Amy Klobuchar, who's now a senator from Minnesota, when she was the DA. He has a lot of experience as a prosecutor. He also has experience as a defense lawyer. And he's clearly, you know, he's described by his former law partners and others as extremely decisive, right? And so it's very clear to me that he's just moving through this quickly. So, but it it is moving with with speed. On the second point about the $27 million settlement, I wanted to ask you about this as well, because (laughs) you you could not pick, I know, I know, but you could not pick a crazier time to release that, which by the way, everyone should understand that these conversations would have begun shortly after George Floyd was murdered last May. So, uh, you know, this isn't, it isn't like this idea of there being a civil settlement between the city and the family of George Floyd. It wasn't like this idea just happened last week. These, you know, the family was represented Presented, um, I believe, shortly after Floyd's Floyd's death, and so what my my sense is, and I, I'm curious to know yours, is that the city understood that if you wait until after the trial, depending on the outcome of the trial, the settlement could be it could change, or there could be arguments that the settlement should be more. There could just be a lot of sort of politics around the settlement. So, it, it, in an ideal world, it feels to me like you do it 
you know, you do it before a trial, I I think, um, or you do it far after. But the sort of right on the eve of trial felt really strange to me and, and probably not well thought through. Yes, that's my initial reaction. And, you know, you also worry about the, the overall fairness of the trial and, and how it infects the jurors. But it kind of makes some sense, right? Settlements happen in, in cases on the eve of trial, but usually that settlement is in connection with the actual trial that's taking place. This is a parallel thing, but it's obviously very related because there's risk for both sides, right? To, to the extent you're negotiating what the final number should be, and I hate to be crass about it because no amount of money is going to bring back George Floyd, but you know, there is a settlement. It is about money. If the trial goes one way, the settlement will be for a higher, you know, an even higher number. If the trial goes a different way, then the risk shifts to the other party and the settlement could be for a lower number. So so both sides, you know, have some inclination to want to finalize this before the criminal trial, because although the settlement and the trial are two separate distinct things running parallel, one has a bearing on the other. And to be fair to the city, don't you think they also probably would like to close this chapter yeah, as yeah. the case goes to trial? Yeah. So, and, so And do right I, by I the just, family, right? And do right by the family. But they, they should have – it's the kind of thing where it does make you scratch your head because this is the kind of thing where it wasn't a secret when the trial was starting. And you would think that the city and the city attorneys would have tried to have the case settled far in advance of the of, – or at least a month or two ahead. Like the, the problem that they've created – and again, it gave the defense lawyer an opportunity to stand up and say – you know, th- there was just a full round of press around a $27 million settlement. And that settlement implies that the city, and and fairly so, that the city has accepted responsibility for wrongdoing. And when you see a dollar sign like $27 million, it's fair to assume that there's, you know, there's an assumption of significant wrongdoing by the city. And so that, for a defendant who's tr- who, and a defense lawyer who's saying, I want to make sure my client gets a fair trial and that people don't think he's guilty before we start, that's the kind of thing that you would want the ability to ask jurors about, like, does does the fact that the city paid $27 million change your view of whether or not he's guilty or innocent? And can you put that aside? And coming to your your last point, the judge is going gonna, is gonna to have to bring the jurors back to ask them about this. And so Judge Cahill said when he was ruling, he didn't immediately rule on this request to sort of change change venue or to push the trial back, but he said, quote, I wish city officials would stop talking about this case so much. And he agreed that the developments were concerning. And so, you know, again, you don't want to make it more complicated for everybody in that courtroom. And I think the city did that. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying it was a mistake to get it done before the trial so much as the timing really puts everybody, I think, in a, a tough position. You know, there's another wrinkle, and you and I talked about this last week, and you made a great point with respect to this issue as well, and that is, would the murder in the third degree charge be reinstated? Remember, prosecutors initially brought a third degree murder charge. That was thrown out. It went up on appeal. The prosecutors really want that charge, and even though it's a lesser charge, to murder in the second degree. And the reason they want it in, as we discussed, it may better fit with the evidence, and it gives jurors a choice. And murder in the third degree just to remind folks, is proven when someone, quote, causes the death of another by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life. And you can be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 25 years. And you have the odd circumstance of the prosecutors asking for the lesser charge to be in, not the defense lawyers. And suddenly, in the last few days since we last recorded this program, the judge has reinstated the third-degree charge which is interesting with respect to what the ultimate result will be, but is also interesting in connection with the discussion we were just having. You've actually seated some jurors 
who were seated before they knew that there was this additional charge. And that's, you know, worrisome. And, and there's reporting that suggests that the prosecutors themselves have been worried that that should have been resolved before the seating of particular jurors. I would be worried. I think you probably would be too. And again, just so folks understand, you, you want to make sure that the trial, if Derek Chauvin is convicted, that the conviction stands, that there be no basis to argue that the trial has to be done over. For a variety of reasons, you always want that to be the case. Um, and I think even more so here with such a high profile and you know, difficult case to try, right? I mean, and I mean difficult in, in the sense that I think it's it's going to be emotional and, and hard for everyone. And so one of the things I would probably do, and I assume that the prosecutors and the judge will do here, is that they already have to bring back all the jurors. And this is not ideal, but I would wadir them on both this question of the civil settlement and also on adding murder in the third degree. Because I, again, I think you want the record to be clean. You don't want there to be any potential issues. And and people should understand there are always issues in trial. There are always appellate issues. There are always things that happen. But what you want to do is make sure there are as few as possible and that if you see them as they're happening, you fix them. One other quick point, Preet, that it's worth noting that the second-degree murder carries a potential sentence of up to 40 years. Third-degree is a potential sentence, as you said, of up to 25 years, and manslaughter is up to 10 years. And so there is a, a significant delta between those three charges, and you're talking about you know, the, the differences being being fairly significant. And so, again, the jury won't understand the sentencing ramifications, but in terms of understanding the prosecutors want that sort of option, uh, the third degree, because there's potentially large sentence that would go with that. And it's obviously a murder conviction, not manslaughter. So it's a more significant conviction. And the defense would like to take out that that sort of middle option and sort of force the jury to decide between is it intentional or is it basically manslaughter or is it or is it none of those? And so, it, again, it's just sort of, I think, interesting for folks to think about this strategy that that goes on behind this. Yeah, I mean, to bring home the point more about the applicability of murder in the third, and look, I think there's a very good chance they get murder in the second, but how much the prosecutors probably feel that third-degree murder fits, you know, let me just read to folks what is the potential instruction to the jury at the conclusion of trial. This comes from another case in Minnesota. And, and jurors will probably be instructed along these lines, told, you know, that you have murder in the third if Derek Chauvin's intentional act was eminently dangerous to human beings and was performed without regard for human life. Jurors will also be told, quote, such an act may not be specifically intended to cause death and may not be specifically directed at the particular person whose death occurred, but is committed in a reckless and wanton manner with the knowledge that someone may be killed and with a heedless disregard of that happening, end quote. And I'm guessing the prosecutors are thinking, you know, the defense will loudly argue that even though Chauvin had his knee on the back of the neck of George Floyd, and there were lots of signs that this could potentially cause George Floyd's death, it's not necessary to show that he intended the death. All that's necessary is to show that he was doing this thing without regard for human life and he was reckless in doing so. That's just easier. That's a charge that they have in the bag. And they'd like to be able to have that one in the bank, right? Yes, I agree with that very much. And and as you sort of have, have noted, with murder in the second degree, you have to have the intent to affect the death of that person. And 
where that will become, the defense will argue, I mean, and we, we should talk just for one second about what the potential defenses are, because they've already, they've already, I think, shown that a bit in jury selection. But the the way to think about second degree is that what the defense will argue is that Officer Chauvin, he legitimately had the right to bring George Floyd to the ground. His intent was to bring him to the ground to subdue him because he was resisting or whatever whatever the officer will say. And they're going to argue his intent was not to murder George Floyd. And so what has the prosecution has to prove is that even if, you know, and I don't know whether they'll concede that the original intent was was lawful to bring him to the ground, they're going to argue that at some point during that nine plus minutes, the intent changed to murder. They're going to have to address an issue that just doesn't exist when you think about murder in the third degree. It's just, it's different, the depraved mind and without regard for human life. Um, the defense, just really quickly, I mean, the, the sort of preview I think we're seeing a little bit is this idea that Floyd had underlying conditions and may have also, we know that the officers believe that he was high, that he was, and and the toxicology lab came back with, with fentanyl. And so he had fentanyl in his system, and the defense is going to argue that, you know, Officer Chauvin didn't commit this this murder, that George Floyd died because of these other these other things. That's going to be a part of the argument. So they're going to have an intent argument, depending on which charges they're attacking at the particular moment. And then, as you say, they're going to have a causation argument, that it wasn't actually the knee in the back that caused the death. It was this other stuff and the narcotic in his system. And probably we'll be calling experts and others, and that'll be a fight at trial. So, Preet, one of the other topics of conversation related to this murder trial that's going forward is Bill Barr, and that it's been reported that when he was attorney general, he rejected um, a guilty plea that had been negotiated by the, the city and state. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, Head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Use the code JUSTICE for 50% off the price of an annual membership. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>